Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. For four years, you marched and organized for equality and justice for our lives and for our planet. And then you voted. You chose Joe Biden as the next president of the United States of America. The goal of the outgoing administration is clear from the brief they filed in the Supreme Court. It asserts, and I quote, the entire ACA thus must fall, end of quote. There is an orange menace of putrescence who will no longer be able to occupy the White House. That's a big deal. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. So how's your kuziety today? I'm going to say mine was coming on hot and heavy yesterday, especially when I remembered the Proud Boys had been told to stand by, and soon they might be unleashed like pot-bellied incel mastiffs to open fire on the anarchist jurisdictions, including my own neighborhood. A friend said she wasn't worried about a coup and I should just stay inside. And then the Republicans started to give their usual take on things— Google gobble, eep or brain falls up. When the wind is southerly, I know a hawk from a handsaw. By the way, remember that from Hamlet? Is Hamlet crazy or only pretending to be crazy? Are the Republicans? Or for that matter, am I? But then today, my son asked whether I'd rather be defeated in a coup, a putsch, or a junta. And we talked about how lame it would be to go down in a weird little cute putsch or defeated in a fancy French coup, silent P. And then we talked about the HJ and junta, and somehow that took the sting out of this thing. Okay. As you all know, I'm in a sign war with my Trumpish neighbors, and I was very ready after Biden's decisive defeat of Trump to take down my discreet Biden-Harris lawn sign and head over to their lost cause Trump flag redoubt and show them some condescending noblesse oblige, offer condolences on their decisive loss, and ask that we let bygones be bygones and celebrate our common humanity now. I wanted a Wimbledon handshake at the net. Good show, chaps! But then this ham-handed coup thing started, and their flags didn't come down. So neither did my discreet and classy sign, and the standoff remains. Just to spell it out fairly, I'm on the side of righteousness, and they are cruel wantwits, and that's the size of it. But for real, I think there's a case for outrage right now and a case for sanguinity. I have no idea why I'm choosing to be sanguine, although I did take the temperature of Twitter today and decided that the ideas markets were bullish on Biden and short-selling the coup. And then I went on to think of the coup as a kind of fanciful delusion and not a grave reality. So here I am. Maybe I'm just excited about my guest, Jacob Weisberg. Yes, folks, he's the head of the Pushkin podcast empire, but also he's the founder of Trumpcast. Years ago, Jacob set the course for this show as one-stop shopping for all things about Thanos, uh, that is Trump, and his folly and his knavery. 
Jacob is joining me because in spite of superficial anxieties, Trumpcast is in its final stretch and is taking a valedictory moment to praise the founder for his lifetime achievements and see how he's doing with his own coopsiety. Jacob, hello and welcome to Trumpcast. Hey, Virginia. Glad to be back. It's been a minute. You are the, um, I was going to say patriarch, but that's wrong. Pater familias. How about that? Of Trumpcast. I'll take that. That That's true. Well, you know, I, I always wanted to come back for the last show. Is this the last show? Well, that's a good question. I think we might do all through the death throes to the inauguration of the next president, Joe Biden. So that's only a few more weeks. And also, I don't know, like it, it, adrenaline is spiking right now. And you are always the person that I turn to, to just like cool off the nervous system. I'm not sure I'm going to be good for that at the moment. My adrenaline's sort of spiking, too. I'm so outraged by what's going on. Not just that Trump is contesting the election, which was predictable, but that almost every Republican is supporting him or staying quiet. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's the fact that it is a clownish coup attempt doesn't change the reality of it being a coup attempt. And half of the country is supporting it, or half of the country's politicians are supporting it, I should say. I'm not sure that people who voted for Trump all think that he is the real winner. I think probably a good percentage of them don't. I mean, I, as usual, as you know me, I stand with Fox News and Erdogan of Turkey in um, accepting Joe Biden's victory. And also Netanyahu, Vladimir Putin. I mean, these are the wise sages of our time who are committed to democracy and have acknowledged and even congratulated Joe Biden on his victory. I don't get it with the Republicans in the Senate. I just will never, I think I may never understand them. Did you anticipate that only Romney would perceive reality here? No, I thought that Republicans would not throw in with this attempt. They would say, you know, if he wants to get the Secret Service to escort him out of the building and put his stuff in a cardboard box for him and leave it out on the curb, that's on him. But we don't really want to participate in that because it's going to be kind of humiliating. I think what I didn't reckon on is the level of fear or blackmail, if you want to present some rational explanation for it that they have that Trump will turn on them still. And that Mm -hmm. even after he leaves the White House, he's going to be the um, presumptive front runner in 2024 and the leader of the party in every sense. So none of them are are willing to stand up to him. It's it's appalling. I'm surprised because I thought your kuziety would be lower than mine. But you've heard, you've definitely heard from, I don't know if you've read Asha Rangappa or Wittis saying it's going to be a rough 70 days. Don't use the word coup. Maybe they'd allow junta or putsch. I don't know whether the, I don't know. I've, actually, my son just asked me whether you'd like to hold, see the world overthrown in a coup, a junta or a putsch. We decided putsch was too wimpy. Coup was too fancy in French. So a junta. You know, in, a, in Spanish, it's a golpe de estado. I'm probably not pronouncing golpe that right, but I think golpe is like, this is a similar meaning, but that's what Franco 
committed in 1936 when he took over, when he he overthrew the Spanish Republic. It was a golpe. Okay, so maybe we want a golpe, but it doesn't seem like your golpe zaiety, your coup zaiety, your putsch zaiety is, I was surprised that it's so high. I just want to say that again. So you're with Ezra Klein rather than Asha Rangappa. You're willing to use the word that may, even if it's incompetent, even if it's just attempted, even if it's bound to fail, we really should see what's happening. Yeah, my anxiety that, that it will succeed seed is low. My outrage that it's being tried is is very, very high. And And I think you have to take it seriously. It's an anti-democratic attack. It's an attack on our democratic society by one of the two major political parties. And, you know, you can't you can't dismiss it. I mean, you can dismiss the likelihood of it. I don't think people should be um, up at night worrying that it will succeed. I don't see how it could possibly succeed. Um, But it's another these things that will change our political culture because people will support it, because people will deny the legitimacy of Biden. You know, and it's something that I think a little like birtherism and like birtherism. I do think there is there is a racist subtext to it because it fundamentally is driven by the idea that black people voting is somehow illegitimate or cheating. They focus on Detroit and Philadelphia, you know, places where there are a lot of black people and start from the premise that there must be something fraudulent about that. It's very much worth acknowledging and calling into question the legitimacy of Biden could be something that's with us for a long time, even if a coup doesn't succeed. Yeah. And I was saying, you know, like birtherism, it seems so stupid that you want to kind of ignore it and just think those people are stupid. I don't want to waste my time paying attention to them. Um, But Mm -hmm. it has this insidious effect over time. And part of the insidious effect is it's a pretext for people who don't want to accept the legitimacy of a legitimate president to deny it. And even a mandate. It's looking increasingly clear that um, that Biden had like, you know, a, a a discreet or a modest landslide here. So there are two parts to what's being um, thrown into question, whether he's the president at all, and certainly an effort to erode the mandate, which is something I, um, something some people reported that Putin wanted in 2016. He didn't want Trump as a president. He just didn't want Hillary to roll in with <laughs> lots of enthusiasm and uh, lots of enthusiasm, especially to block his you know, imperial ambitions. And so cutting down on the mandate seems to be the realist hope of like a Bill Barr. So keep McConnell in power, keep it in question, make the country seem like it's divided cleanly in half or even tilts toward Trumpism so that Biden can't move. Does that seem right to you? Yeah, I mean, I think it is Putinism in a a very fundamental way, which is that the object is to just make as much trouble as possible, you know, create as much noise and distortion in the system, destroy social trust, destroy political legitimacy. And, you know, succeeding would be like a crazy bonus that they're not counting on. But there's some remote chance of that, too. But it doesn't have it's not strategic in the sense that 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 Trump and his people think if we dispute the election, it will cause X, Y and Z to happen. I think it's more, let's fuck things up because we can. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So just pursuing, I think there's a case for anxiety or even outrage, and there's a case for letting cooler heads prevail. And as someone recently said, channeling your inner Joe, like acting like Joe. No, I, Joe Biden, ha, I, you know, no, I don't have any fears of this thing. You know, that little laugh he does sort of modeling for the nation that all is going well, being senatorial, being presidential about this is all rolling along the way we expected it to. But obviously, we can't entirely control our outrage. So I'll tell you the thing that I dwell on. I sometimes, yesterday, go all the way to, there might be a general or two, as there was at Lafayette Square, willing to take their orders from the commander-in-chief right now and start pulling off what really looks like a junta. You know, not just putting Barr or Pompeo saying, you know, bunk things or the OANN network or Facebook disinformation, but putting some generals there. I sort of started to think if he if he was able to sort of demilitarize the no-fly zone over Biden's house, like that, you know, could have the military withdraw from that protection or some other indication that there are generals listening to him. I mean, do you fear that or am I just going too far? Well, I think you're you're channeling Trump's own thinking. I mean, Trump doesn't think there is any part of, of the government that is not an arm of his politics, right? Yeah. So he why did he fire... Esper, he fired him for right. having stood up to him um, in, you know, illegitimately putting down a constitutional public protest. You know, he yeah. re he remembered that there was a guy who stood up to him, exercised independence in the military. The military, mm -hmm. I think, is deeply steeped in this culture of, you know, on the one hand, civilian control, on the other hand, professionalism. And I find it unimaginable that the military would execute illegitimate orders that they that they they would function as a political arm of the presidency. So again, I'm not worried about it. I'm outraged that Trump w is thinking about it and almost certainly, you know, will try some some version of it. And here's the real cost Virginia. I mean, I think the thing that's damaging that's happening right now is the transition is being prevented. And mm -hmm. part of that transition is Biden and his coronavirus task force, mm -hmm. putting in place a national plan to suppress the second wave that's exploding right now. Every day, every hour that Trump prevents the transition from taking place is costing lives. I mean, so in mm -hmm. that sense, Trump's killing people right now because mm -hmm. there are competent authorities ready to start taking charge of this problem. And instead, mm -hmm. Trump's saying, we must have chaos. I'm going to prevent the, the legitimate constitutional order from functioning the way it's supposed to.
Yeah, just out of spite, out of uh, grandiosity, and and even with the willingness to pers- pursue the ends of his, I don't know if it's too much to call it a death cult, but that's what it looks like to me. There's still mask deniers, still that the super spreader events seem to have, gener- Trump's super spreader events seem to have generated 30,000, something like 30,000 new cases and counting. And so not only is he stopping or ceasing collaboration or not even allowing collaboration with Biden, but he's pursuing his own pro-virus agenda, you know, at the worst possible time. Let me ask you, as a better historian than I am, can you think of a time, I mean, do, when the parties change and there's a new president, we're in the interregnum, new president-elect, can you think of times where there was collaboration on urgent policy matters in that period, the November to January period? So, if there were a military action going on, did the president-elect and the president actually put their heads together, not hand off binders to each other? But what would that even look like if Trump worked with Biden on these initiatives? We know he Biden already has released the people that are going to work on his coronavirus task force. And is there precedent for a kind of co-presidency or just a just a very graceful and, and yet kind of muscular transition? Well, Presidential transitions are one of those things that political scientists and policy people in Washington, you know, really come to focus on in the past several decades as needing greater systemization and professionalization. Because, you know, when the executive branch was a few thousand people, it was kind of managed in personal terms if you go back to the pre-war period. But in the you know era of the imperial presidency, this is a vast ap- apparatus. It's the you know it's the biggest company in the world being handed over to entirely new management. And there's been a lot of very good and careful thinking and planning that's gone into answering the question of how do you have an effective presidential transition. And I think it's just over time been taken more and more seriously. And, you know, this is Michael Lewis's book, The Fifth Risk, was about the horror that when the Obama administration in 2016 planned what would have been the most careful, thoughtful, comprehensive presidential transition yet, which, of course, they were under the illusion would be a transition to Hillary Clinton, Trump people sort of didn't show up for the briefings. The Trump people, the Obama people said, well, all right, we're, you know, we might not be glad it's you, but, you know, let's sit down and go through these binders. You're going to be running some important stuff like the, you know, nuclear programs at the Department of Energy. And the Trump people said, no, thanks. We don't want to hear about all that stuff. That's not what we're into. And, you know, the, the Obama people were sort of left with all this planning gone completely to waste. And mm-hmm. of course, the, you know, the Trump administration is is completely bucking that trend they mm-hmm. i'm sure they've prepared effectively no transition um yeah they you know they they're not accepting they've never accepted the premise that there could be a transition that he could that he could legitimately lose and you know the best they're going to do is on the on the last day the last minute the last hour they'll you know leave the keys to the men's room on the <laughs> on the dresser and say good luck yeah, and hopefully there's a restroom for Kamala Harris too. But uh, I'm sure they, I'm sure they're gonna, the they're not gonna leave the key for that. They're gonna, they're <laughs> the gonna, like, they're gonna lose that in the basket, and then she'll have to get it, get the lock <laughs> refitted. 
it seems like one of the fears of having a rocky transition, and I haven't read the Lewis book yet, but is that there'll be attacks at that joint, at that bad joint in American democracy and American uh, history, and then we'll be vulnerable to enemies. Somehow, even through all this time with Trump, as we're told, not reading the intelligence briefs, with Trump saber rattling, with Trump cozying up to enemies, we haven't had an attack of you know on american soil or on the grid in ways that we might have anticipated is that the main bad thing that we have to fear if the transition doesn't happen for instance trump didn't take as you say the tutorial from Obama. He didn't take the binders. He didn't listen to the State Department. He just ignored it entirely. And so we know what happens when someone just ignores a transition, which is certain bad things to the democracy and certain surprisingly okay things to national defense and national security, right? I mean, that's what's sort of a weird lesson of Trump. You almost can imagine Obama briefing Biden as far as possible on what's next and just leaping over four years because we know we know what Trump has mangled because he tweets just about all of it. And there are other people that have gotten security briefings who can help the transition to Biden. So is it possible that we don't have to fear the worst right now, that we don't have to fear an attack on American soil? Oh, yeah. Well, first of all, that's the kind of, you know, outlier fear is during a, you know, it's sort of like a six day war scenario, right? When the country is sort of distracted doing something else, it'll be vulnerable to some kind of attack. And that's obviously something that military planners have to think about. But I don't think that's the the primary question here. And I, I totally agree with what you just said, which is, you know, Biden was in the White House for eight years. He's he and his people are you know, deeply knowledgeable and experienced about how the executive branch and the agencies work. They don't have anything to learn from Trump and his people who you know, never learned or, or cared to learn anything in, in four years. So it's not that they need Trump's briefings. They have to reassert the connection to the civil service and the professional layer that survived Trump um, and, you know, figure out how to get these agencies and departments of government back to something like normal functioning. What, you know, what I'm worried about is is simply the who's in charge problem for the next 70 days. And particularly in the middle of a pandemic, you have an outgoing administration that has abdicated responsibility. And in the way it should work is the incoming administration should start to run the response, should start to, should start to put its plan in place. And that's what's being prevented. It's actually the the management part of the transition. Well, it seems as though governors, at least governors in blue states, and even possibly governors in red states, may get their marching orders, begin to get their marching orders from Biden. I mean, the media is key here, and he gives plenty of press conferences, Biden does. And Trump's press conferences have begun to be sidelined, even by Fox News. So, you know, maybe there is a case to be made or or maybe we owe Biden some admiration that he's just acting like a president, that he's probably huddling a little bit with Obama. He certainly knows people in civil service. He knows the administrative state and um, and that they can move forward. And if if Trump fires Dr. Fauci and uh, and Biden puts him on his task force, he can push Fauci out and have press conferences. And, you know, a lot of the networks will run them. And maybe when they hear common sense, some of the governors or all of the blue state governors will start doing what he says. I mean, he can, in a softer way, assert himself 
while Trump is running this more aggressive and more incompetent coup. Yeah, and and Trump can't fire Fauci. That's one thing that's not quite in his power. Only Francis Collins can fire Fauci, and I I don't think there are circumstances under which he would. But what Trump can do is just keep up the drama for the next two months and a bit and prevent or at least diminish Biden's ability to assert calm control. Mm-hmm. And now Biden can be doing that behind the scenes, as you're talking about, and establishing these connections at the at the state level and inside the civil service. But if the message coming out from the White House is cooperate with Biden and you'll be fired, uh, it's still a pr- it's still pretty inhibiting. Now, maybe Biden can hire you back or the firing will be illegitimate if you have civil service protection. But Trump can create an awful lot of mess with the power to fire, the power to pardon yeah, I mean, he can he can commit a tremendous amount of outrage in the time that remains to him in office, even if he were to acknowledge that he's leaving on January 20th. I mean, I think that in a more gentlemanly way, in a way schooled with 50 years experience in government, Biden is also trying to erode Trump's legitimacy in this period. And really, there has been a level, see, this is my not anxious side, there has been a level of just clean, professional, disciplined support for Biden in that role. And I I am talking about Fox News calling Arizona, acknowledging the Biden victory and cutting away from the press conference. And then even at the level of these foreign leaders, I mean, one dictator after another, let alone the EU and the, you know, has acknowledged the Biden victory. And this is taking the teeth out of the current Trump presidency. I mean, you know, maybe that's a lot to claim, but Biden is, as they say, acting like a president. He's not even acting like a president-elect, right? He's claiming his own legitimacy and implying Trump's illegitimacy. With all the laughter and the, you know, his smirks and his tossing off of, like, they will accept my power. And, even you know, the Secret Service saying, we have plenty of experience throwing out a trespasser in the White House. And that does give a certain sense that, you know, Trump's not telling the truth now. Trump's, uh, you know, he's a crazy uncle. He's a person on the street who thinks he's president for life. We're not supposed to have an interregnum in our democracy. And tremendous development has gone Uh. into preventing a period between the election and the inauguration when no one knows who's in charge what they're supposed to do, what will happen if a crisis happens, how you handle ongoing management problems and, and issues that come up in that, in that period. And what Trump is doing is just throwing all of that out the window and saying, I decree that we shall have chaos in this period because I can. And by the way, I'm also planning I kind of know I've lost at another level. So I'm planning to run again in 2024. And I'm already figuring out how to take all the campaign campaign money and funds people are donating to me to fight the last election over to the next election. And you know where Mm -hmm. those funds will generally end up. But (laughs) he's creating chaos because he can. Biden is, I think, asserting calm because it's what he does. He's a cool cucumber. He's not threatened by this. But it's still deeply wrong, deeply unfortunate, and deeply dangerous. I've told this story before on the show and to you. 
But I hope you remember that at the uh, our coronation for Hillary Clinton that didn't end, that ended sort of like the red wedding or something with like, Lord, if I tried to forget it, you're going to remind me again, but okay. Yeah, okay. But, and then, uh, then obviously, I mean, we, we didn't even have, God, we were so confident. And by the way, I like that Trump cast has always admitted and Slate even has admitted that we were not one of those people who kind of knew Trump was going to win because we saw some lawn signs. We had no reason to think that that Russian disinformation and everything else was going to throw it to Trump. But anyway, there we are. So we didn't even watch the maps. We didn't even <laughs> have them brought because we just were like, oh, they're all going to roll in and, in the landslide that we're expecting. But anyway, we did regroup. And I went over to talk to you and your wonderful wife, Deborah, and see what you thought. And I've said it exactly this way before, and I'll say it again. I looked to you because you're like my mentor in these things. I looked to you and I was sure you were going to say, well, uh, Regulation 541 and the (laughs) opinions of McGeorge Bundy, always McGeorge Bundy, the opinions of McGeorge Bundy, this can't happen. We will never have like a Nazi dictator in charge because of, you know, all these protections that were afforded by the whatever. And I've never seen you shaken at all. And I've never seen a person maybe so shaken. You were just like looked white. And I thought, if Jacob Weisberg has lost his cool as a cucumber, we're really in trouble. Now, starting from that point of demoralization, what has it been for you these four years? I mean, you dropped out of Trumpcast. You now make podcasts called like Being Happy. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I get the sense that you sort of moved. I believe you're referring the, to the Happiness Lab. Yes. I'm re- referring to the About the Science hap- of Happiness. About the Science of Happiness, right? It's believing science, but it still is not quite, you know, you left me high and dry. Yeah, no, I sure did. Um, but you've been, you've been uh, carrying the torch so well, Virginia. I mean, I think I felt like for the first time, two years of Trump, um, I took the responsibility really personally of being on top of all the scandals, all the corruptions, all the outrage. I wanted to be, because there are, you know, a million journalists doing a million stories. And I felt like somebody has to be the one-stop shopping for all this shit. And I thought, oh, that'll be Trump cast. And kind of, I got to do it because it's, you know, because if I don't, who will? And it's sort of my responsibility. I took that burden on. I enjoyed a lot of it. It was yeah. often really fun doing the show, despite yeah. the, you know, dire uh, underlying circumstance. But after two years, for reasons unrelated to podcasts, uh, unrelated to Trumpcast, when I decided to go start a new company, part of that basically entailed handing uh, the mic over to you and, and giving giving up. I wasn't sorry to stop doing it that and let yeah. let others take on that responsibility. I could have done it for another two years, I think, but it was kind of nice to go back to being a civilian, as it were, and following it more or less like a normal person. I still follow it pretty closely. Since in the last, you know, the month or two before the election and since the election, you know, I've gone back into the old high gear. I mean, I'm a pretty avid consumer of of information lately. I got to I got to find the I got to find the off ramp again. I remember that you um, and this was um, you had gotten some early scoops on Stormy Daniels, which seemed shocking at the time. But now that we're in the middle of a coup, like who can who even cares? But you reminded me that during the Monica Lewinsky affair, 
you had kind of dropped out at the New Republic, just the, uh, the sordidness was just too much for you and gone on to cover something else. And I sort of think you have a, a nice way, I wouldn't call it self-care, but just to to preserve your dispassionate intellectual disposition. You don't want to get too much into stories of uh, blue dresses and demon semen and whatever, whatever else. <laughs> and I do respect that. But I also want to know if it's, so that night when when we were all so disturbed, has it been different than you anticipated? Worse? Somewhat safer? Or tell me. Well, I think informed by that experience we all had of just sort of accepting that it was going to be okay because the polls looked pretty good. I went in with the same skepticism a lot of people had about the, you know, landslide numbers that... Biden seemed like he was going to get. Yeah. And then, you know, on election night, as the night wore on, it's it never looked like he was losing if you if you were absorbing everything. But it looked like he, he could lose. I mean, it was close enough that things could have gone different way. And I, I went to bed Tuesday night with a feeling, you know, bad feeling in the pit of my stomach. But mm-hmm. I woke up Wednesday morning, you know, turned on all my appliances, you know, like <laughs> went full, like the two Nates, like absorbed it, you know, everything. And it was within about an hour, it was pretty clear to me that that Biden had won, that Biden yeah. was going to be the winner, that there wasn't any realistic chance that that Trump could win the election. So then I calmed yeah. down and just started following it from a you know place of sanity. But the the most like panicky moment. How? Wh- what about for you, Virginia? I mean, I just felt like it was like Tuesday night, like one in the morning. I was like, ugh. Well, I mean, you probably remember that when you were in the heart of Trumpcast, you were just it all too close contact with the like the people who seemed to know, and the people who seemed to know were telling me by Tuesday night that it was that it was all okay, that that you know when now I'm forgetting the sequence, but that when Arizona was called, that there was no way for him to win in in Philly, that the Biden campaign was extremely confident about Pennsylvania, you know, and there were just certain things. I mean, I had taken the same words about John Kerry, so I probably shouldn't have been so confident, but I needed to get myself to sleep. So I sort of nursed myself to sleep on some of the wonky assertions that it was all right. And that's one of the things about doing Trumpcast is that, you know, for once you have those like super confident I don't know, super confident people in your ear also telling us I mean, this, this I want to try out on you. Also saying that it's not just the facts. It's framing things as a victory that Democrats have trouble doing. And, you know, Trump can claim Pennsylvania in 1971 in this election, and we have trouble claiming it even when, you know, all is said and, did, said and done and it's clearly gone blue. So I, I sort of took this idea that Democrats sort of need to learn to win, you know, and go to bed with like some confidence that it's okay and confidence and even sort of the beginning of feeling, you know, the beginning of even gloating, you know, I've sort of praised gloating on this show a little bit. So I sort of got into that state of mind and I I ignored the articles that, you know, you know how this business works. They were written well in advance about how, you know, the the whatever the outcome articles, right? So they start with whatever the outcome of the election, we're still a divided country, 5,000 words, right? Well, it's not just whatever the outcome. 
Joe Biden won, and we finally removed what has felt like a real boot on the throat of democracy, if not individuals who've, you know, felt oppressed by this administration. And that's a huge, that is what we've, like, all been longing for, you know, since 2016. It's just get out from under this. My kids don't remember when we didn't talk about the president, and the president wasn't constantly there for us and in front of our faces. So I just tried to take that cue from Republicans, from Project Lincoln, the kind of cocky, you know, we've got this in the bag thing, and was able this time to sleep with that confidence. I guess it could have gone the other way. But I'm trying to get that confidence about this would-be coup also, which is like, they're a bluster. And whatever 20% of Americans believe about Biden not winning, it doesn't matter. Don't like 50% of Americans believe in astrology and don't know what the Second Amendment even says? You know, like whenever we're, we hear, don't know where Canada is, I mean, it, it doesn't matter what people believe, what other people believe if they are, you know, if this is just part of their private worldview. And so I've tried to take, because I live in, in Trump country now, <laughs> I've tried to take that seriously and say, it just doesn't matter if they think we're going to hell because lots of people think, Lots of people are going to hell and they don't take out their guns. So that's what I've tried to tell myself. I'm with you partway there, Virginia. It doesn't matter in terms of whether Biden becomes president. He'll become become president because he he was elected and nothing's really going to stop that. But if there is trust is so eroded in the system generally, it will trickle down in ways that will affect you. It will will affect how many people are willing to, to take a vaccine based yeah. on the government endorses and you know and whether other people take the vaccine will affect whether your kids can go to school and whether the schools can stay open if trust is consciously destroyed within the society that will have impacts in all sorts of ways and 20% of people who have no trust is very different from 20% of people who believe in angels or whatever yeah. it is. It's not It's not religion. It's not personal eccentricity. It's not just a little sort of superstition um, crossed with a hobby. It's a fundamental belief that our system isn't what it represents itself to be. And that's the, you know, that's at the end of the day, I think, is the real, is the real outrage uh, in Trump cultivating this this lie. It's why it's a monstrous lie and not not just a, a stupid trick. That's very convincing. So I've been thinking on the show that I don't know if the arc of arc of history bends toward justice. That doesn't seem consistent with you know my doubt about like a teleological theory of history that it's all ending somewhere, or even that evolution has some kind of telos. But it does seem like the arc of history, the arc of uh, of human history, bends towards survival. And what I have wondered all along is, it doesn't matter whether Trump's cause and uh, the cause of Trumpism and Trumpites is just. It matters if it's adaptive, right? Like if guns, certain kind of indifference to the truth makes you stronger, makes you more likely to be, to represent the future. And I have to say, I got a little comfort, even though I was so uneasy to see that Trumpites weren't wearing masks because armed Trumpites are one thing, 
that that could actually, you know, they could be the the lions in the jungle if they have that kind of physical prowess. But when they start to be indifferent to dying and stop wearing masks against the virus, one of our the primary adaptations of the species is to resist viruses, find ways to resist epidemics and pandemics. Then I started to think this isn't long for this world. The thing about uh, epidemics is that they don't just infect people who are careless or don't follow the rules. So, you know, I don't think you can you can safely take the position that, well, th- they're they're only harming themselves. They are harming yeah, themselves. I mean, but they're harming the rest of us, too. Right. But the florid almost pursuit of disease is also is just it just seemed like a sign that this set of beliefs and actions and policies, uh, you know, vis-a-vis the environment, the the having guns in the home, denying the existence of school shootings, then being anti-mask or anti-vax, that those are counteradaptive. Like, I like to think, so let's go back to this, uh, bend the arc of history. I like to think that fascism is will fail because it's unjust and because history favors the just. But I'm more confident believing that whatever X set of beliefs that made the Etruscans the Etruscans and died out, it just didn't come with either enough armor or enough confident survivalism or enough adaptations that we don't quite understand that it died out. So I started to be, is Trump going to be, you know, the fake thousand year Reich? Is he going to end up even though he thinks he's the forever president with a regime that goes all the way down to Baron and Baron's children, do we, but he, instead he may be the Etruscans. He and Trumpites may be the Etruscans. What do you think? Your big thing has, you know, gone above my pay grade regime, but I do think, I think the, the application of Darwinism to, to politics is, is, you know, is a, is a dangerous idea that we have to resist. And, you know, I think the, to me, the, the larger revelation is that the inevitability of liberal democracy was an illusion. Hmm. Liberal democracy is a system that has to be chosen, has to be defended, has to be supported at every level. And the the tide has been moving away from it. And Trump showed us that that included in, in this country. And uh, it's all very much up for grabs at the moment. But yeah. at the very least, we got rid of him and he's almost gone. Jacob Weisberg is the founder of Trumpcast and Pushkin Industries. Thanks so much for being here, Jacob. Thanks for carrying it on until victory, uh, Virginia. You've been doing a great job with the show, and it's really nice to be back. And that's it for today's show. What'd you think of this one? Come to Twitter and bring us ideas for our sequel. I'm Page 88, and the show is at Real Trumpcast. And before you go, remember... As a way of showing your appreciation for Trumpcast and all we do at Slate, to sign up for Slate Plus. But this isn't just a donation like you'd give to Jamie Harrison or the Georgia Senate races. Your support is pivotal on a week like this. And for $35 for the first year, you get tons of digital perks and all of our shows without ads. Go to slate.com slash Trumpcast Plus. That's slate.com slash Trumpcast Plus. Our show today was produced by Melissa Kaplan and engineered by Richard Stanislaw. I'm Virginia Heffernan. Watch the Kuzayity, and thanks for listening to Trumpcast.